0: Second Chronicles 35, 11 through 23. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 11 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord his God, and did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke the word of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him take an oath in God's name. He became stiff-necked and hardened his heart and would not turn to the Lord, the God of Israel. Furthermore, all the leaders of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful following all the detestable practices of the nations and defiling the temple of the Lord which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. The Lord the God of their fathers sent word of them through his messengers again and again, because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people, and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary, and spared neither young man nor young woman Old men are aged. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God, both large and small, and the treasures of the Lord's temple, and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. He carried into exile. Babylon the remnant who escaped from the sword and they became service to him and his sons until the king of Persia came to power the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest all the time of its desolation it rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah in the first year of king of Cyrus king of Persia in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. This is what King or Cyrus, king of Persia, says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any one of his people among you May the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word.
1: Well, we're back in our series, Long Story Short. And we've been looking at the Bible from the front cover to the back cover, trying to figure out this this story that's told. uh, And it's got some major chapters to it, and we're trying to hit all the high points we can over this summer and the points in between that we can't hit that we just don't have time to we're trying to cover as we read and in between so we've got weekly readings and you're welcome to participate if you haven't been participating you can jump in this week you should find a sheet in your uh, bulletin and so that's going great today we wrap up the Old Testament uh, the first portion of the bible deals with god's people israel and and it goes back even before that but certainly is focused on uh, how god chose ordinary people like abraham to uh, to form a nation uh, with the with the with a purpose of blessing all nations and bringing back what he had intended for creation from the start his good and perfect creation that had been marred by sin and corruption and and he has a plan to bring that back into order and so he executed that plan through the people of Israel and then ultimately through Jesus and so this week today we wrap up the the Old Testament portion and next week pastor Brett is going to come and share a message uh, that is going to launch us into the New Testament portion of of this series and so looking forward to that but uh, today, as, as we prepare to wrap things up, you know, we've been through the creation story, we've been through the covenant that God made with Abraham, we've been through uh, the exodus as God might, delivered his people with a mighty hand out of slavery in Egypt. We talked about the law that he gave his people on how to be his people. We talked about the conquest when they took the promised land that he had, in, that he had promised in the covenant to Abraham. Uh, we talked about how they turned to kings instead of to God God. and and then all the warnings that took place because their hearts strayed far from God and worshipped other idols and uh, then ultimately that led to exile and today we talk about not only that exile but the return from exile this was had to be one of the lowest moments in the nation of Israel's life, and many of you, you know what it's like to be in low moments. You know that feeling, right? Uh, this is actually the this July is actually the three-year anniversary of when Julie got so sick, and uh, we she got pregnant with our uh, our second child, Peter, and and. Uh, She was about eight weeks pregnant when we went to the hospital because she couldn't breathe on top of being severely nauseated 24-7 in a darkened room, laid up. And uh, so we took her to the hospital and they were, you know how they can be so relaxed and slow (laughs) while you're in crisis mode. And uh, eventually that ended when they got back the results of her CT scan and saw the, uh, the clots in her lung that had caused it to collapse and had her life at imminent risk and suddenly everybody jumped into full speed you know they had they had another gear that I didn't know they had um, but suddenly they found it and uh, wow then next thing I know she was taken to ICU and uh, the last thing I heard from the nurse in ICU was uh, well she had kind of a panic attack so we gave her some stuff and she's kind of out and <laughs> uh, I said you might as well go home you can't be back there tonight I'll call you if anything changes. So I went home, my two-year-old daughter uh, staying with her grandparents. So I went home to an empty house, not knowing what the next day would hold. And it was a pretty low spot. Uh, In fact, even as she stabilized, things didn't really improve as far as the, the quality of life that we were enjoying in that season. As, uh, she had so much pain to deal with and nausea to deal with. And if you've ever been with someone or cared for someone who was going through a, a lot of pain and stuff, it, it changes who they are. It, it robs them of their, of their personality. It, uh, it's just really a trying time. And, and really, the, the whole pregnancy was pretty rough. But now we can look back on and celebrate that three-year anniversary with a different perspective. But when you're in those moments where life seems to have been, your life at least, seems to have been reduced to ashes. What do you do in those moments? That's where Israel was. And probably if you've been around very long at all, you've been there to some degree. You know what that feels like. What do you do when you're at school and you feel lonely, isolated, worthless? What do you do when you feel crushed by the pressure to measure up, to look pretty enough, to be smart enough, to fit in and you just don't? Or when financial struggles just seem insurmountable? Or when you're facing an addiction that won't let you go. And you're facing health problems and you can't get a diagnosis. When you're facing relational problems and maybe it's separation or divorce or just a breakup that has left you in pieces. There's so many circumstances in life. And we face grief and we face depression and we face all these things that can be so overwhelming in that moment and in that circumstance. What do you do? What do you do in those moments? That's the subject today. As we look at a nation that was in complete and utter ruin We've been saying all along that the Bible tells the most important story ever written. That Jesus is the subject and that your life along with all creation hangs in its balance. And we believe that and even today we'll see that Jesus is still the subject. And that there is hope even in the most terrible of circumstances. We read in 2 Chronicles 36. that the Lord, the God of their ancestors sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place how interesting so often we think that God sends warnings and sends wrath out of his anger even his dislike or hatred says he had pity and so he warned them, but they mocked God's messengers, the prophets that we talked about last week. They mocked them; and they despised God's words, scoffed until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against His people, and there was no remedy. But He's God; surely there was a remedy. You know, sometimes in our lives, there's no remedy. At least not of the kind we would want. No remedy, especially if God isn't going to override human will altogether. If if He wanted to override your will, your power to reject God, all of ours, then then maybe there'd be a remedy. You just say, enough with you people. He could wipe us all out, that would be a remedy. (laughs) But as far as just snapping his fingers, waving a wand, and making it all better, sometimes there's no remedy. If I persist, for instance, this is just an example, in making bad choice after bad choice after bad choice, and no matter how God warns me and tries to get my attention, I say, no, I'm persisting, I want this, thing that's killing me. I want it. Eventually there'll be no remedy. Right? Without God saying you don't have a will anymore. You don't have a choice anymore. You're just gonna do what I say. And that's where God's people got to. They got to the point where even though God had pity on them and wanted to have mercy on them, wanted to forgive them, there was no remedy left. They had rejected him. They had rejected all of his advice. They had rejected all of his warnings. They were pursuing their end. Israel found themselves literally between a rock and a hard place. It's probably hard to see in this map, but in the middle of the map, close to the sea, you have Israel. Israel. I'm just going to help you out. (laughs) There's Jerusalem right up there. The little dot. Over here is Egypt. Over there is Babylon. So on one side is Egypt. On the other side is Babylon. To the north is Assyria. Now Assyria had been the powerhouse for a while. Before that it had always been Egypt. Egypt then Assyria kind of fell apart and crumbled while Babylon was on the rise so a new empire strikes up and is trying to find its place in the world and begins taking over territory that had belonged to Assyria taking over territory that had belonged to Egypt and so in the middle of all this sits Israel God's people and as they rejected him and as God said fine have it your way and in his wrath he let them walk away and suffer the consequences you know throughout Israel's history every victory was attributed to God's help that it wouldn't have happened without his intervention because this was not a people especially in the beginning renowned for their military prowess they were a bunch of slaves out of Egypt but God delivered them into that land and had their back at every turn he was faithful but eventually as they rejected and rejected and rejected him and his ways he said there's no remedy left and he took his hands off the situation and they were caught in the middle of a storm First, Egypt comes in. Assyria was falling apart, so Babylon and Egypt were fighting over who would be the next powerhouse. So Egypt comes in, and they dethrone the king sitting in Jerusalem. And they put his brother in place anyway. You know how that works with like the dictator regimes? You know, they, they say alright, we're going to come in, they kill the king and then they say to his brother you're better than your brother anyway if you'll do what we say we'll let you reign instead and then you're pretty motivated to do what they say (laughs) you just saw what they did to your brother so that happens and Egypt tries to kind of dominate the scene but Babylon is on the rise and soon Nebuchadnezzar shows up in power and drags a bunch of their best citizens away. It's the first bit of the exile. And then pretty soon as they're still causing trouble, he comes back again and destroys them completely. Tears down their walls, burns down the temple, drags out all the articles from the temple ransacks their entire community those that didn't die of starvation or sword if they were worth anything he dragged them off if he didn't think they were worth anything he left them there to rot to suffer Jeremiah chose to stay behind with those poor folks that left behind were left behind because Babylon didn't have any use for them You know, they weren't skilled enough, or smart enough, or whatever the case. They couldn't make it on their own without all their fellow citizens. They had been decimated. They chose to go back to Egypt. Try to find food. Try to find a life. And so, half the nation was dragged off to Babylon. Half the nation chose to go to Egypt and the land that was promised to God's people was left desolate, barren. Doesn't get much worse than that. You can't imagine the violence that they saw and witnessed. You're pretty low when you're so starved that you're looking at each other like you want to eat each other. We can't imagine the horrors that they lived through. And what it must have felt like to see their nation completely unravel, their capital city torn down to the ground, all their hopes and dreams of the future dashed, dragged off to a foreign land, dominated by a foreign people. And while they suffer the land enjoyed its rest isn't it interesting I think we underestimate the interaction of the spiritual and the physical we're so physically oriented to the physical world and we forget about the spiritual things so often but beyond that I think we forget that spiritual things have physical consequences And sin in our lives affects even the very creation around us. Other people, for sure. Societies. Sin is not just something that affects you on a personal level, but it certainly affects other people and societies. But Scripture seems to indicate that it even affects the land, the creatures in the land. Sometimes we can see that clearly other times I don't think we have a clue just how broken sin makes our world so God gave the people the land itself a rest from the sins of his people they had been supposed to be giving it rest according to his law and they hadn't too busy pursuing their own prosperity and wealth to let the land take a break too busy trusting their own hands and not trusting God for their provision but here's the beauty of it the land got its rest and in time when the 70 years were fulfilled Babylon crumbled a new empire arose called Persia. And Cyrus, the emperor in this new empire, issued a decree. He said that anyone that wanted to go back and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem and retake their land should do so. Scripture says that God moved his heart to do this and he gave them back articles of the temple that Nebuchadnezzar had stolen and dragged away and he gave, them back, he gave them money and resources to go and do this work here's the beauty of it God has always and will always specialize in bringing something beautiful out of the ashes when things get as low as they can possibly be. Even in that moment, God is working. It can be the worst, most sinful decision that leaves your life or someone you love's life completely just in ruins. And even in that, God chooses to work and bring something beautiful out of a terrible situation we see it time and again throughout scripture don't we and it doesn't get much clearer than with this story of a people in ruins and yet God spares a remnant and allows them to return and helps them to rebuild their lives and paves the way for the greatest restoration moment of all I'm going to share that with you in just a moment. But first, I want to go back to that scripture. Uh, Well, actually, it's, it's something that King Cyrus said of Persia. He didn't command that all the people go back. He just said, if you want to, you should. You would think, right, in our minds, everybody's just going to go flooding back. Finally, you know, what they wanted, what they needed. But not so fast. Some of them didn't. And others, they did, but it just, not right away. It just, it took years. And I thought about why. Why was that? Well, and then I thought this. We've got some land. It's old family land my uh, grandpa grew up on. Out Anyone know where Pioneer is? <laughs> out in that neck of the woods. All right. So we've got a little bit of land there. It's my dad's now, and uh, there's no home there anymore. But the pecan trees that stood around the old home place are still there. And if Dad wanted to, he could go out there and build him a little place, couldn't he? Why didn't he do it? <laughs> It's been a long time since any of us lived there, right? How many of you, you know, would let's say I said, hey, you can go back, I'll even give you the resources you need. You can go back to where your grandparents lived. Maybe their house is still there. Remodel it a little bit. Live in it. I bet some of you would take that offer. I bet a whole bunch of you wouldn't. (laughs) when it's been a long time and most of the people who even remembered living there are dead and gone most of the young folks who are able to travel and start a new life they, don't, they, never, they were never even there all they've had is stories and now they're supposed to go back to this land that was in complete ruins and start something new imagine being asked to do that now doubtless some of them were chomping at the bit to go. Maybe they loved adventure or maybe they just hated Babylon. But anyway, many went. And from the ashes something new was born. Ezra took back some people. Not Brett's Ezra, the first one. He took some people back to Jerusalem they, they began working and and then a few years later Nehemiah heard that the situation was bad the walls were still not built which meant that they were vulnerable to attack it, it, just the situation wasn't good they, they couldn't prosper without walls they couldn't move forward and so he talked to the king about it and the king sent him with more resources and instructions to govern and build that wall. And they did. They built the wall to defend their city. And slowly, bit by bit, they begin to raise up the temple and raise up the walls and rebuild their community and put the pieces back together. I said that God specializes in bringing beauty out of ashes and I didn't make that term up. It's actually in Isaiah, not Jeremiah. We're having some issues today with our numbers and words. But anyway, Isaiah 7, another prophet, much like Jeremiah, said these words, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, To proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Did any of that sound familiar to you? If you've read the Gospels, and we just did a series through the Gospels and read through them earlier this year. One day Jesus stood up in a synagogue in his hometown. And they handed him the scroll of Isaiah. And he turned to this chapter in Isaiah. And he said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news and he quoted and read to them in their presence this very passage and then he said I tell you this day in your presence this is fulfilled. God has always excelled at bringing beauty from ashes but what he did through Jesus Christ took that to a whole new level. On the cross Jesus' very own life was reduced to ashes. But from the ashes, three days later, he rose. And ever since that day, thousands of people, millions of people, have placed their hope in Christ and risen up out of the ashes of their lives into something beautiful. It's the story of transformation. Whether your life is just a little bit off or way off. Whether you're hurting a little bit or a lot. You know, hurting feels like hurting, doesn't it? And in the midst of that circumstance, we find hope. Not just in an idea, but in an event where God definitively said I'm in the business of bringing beauty out of ashes. I'm in the business of reclaiming what hell has stolen. I'm in the business of making new what had grown old and dead. Wow. What's your story? When has God been faithful to you? I want to suggest to you two things that you can do in the midst of things not going well. Whether they're really not going well, or they're just kinda not going well. It's good advice for both. The first one is turn to the Lord. Do you believe that Jesus lived? Do you believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead? so that you could have new life an abundant life good life turn to the Lord part of turning to the Lord means turning away from something too and turning towards the life that he offers the way of life that he offers I I got to talk with uh, Jorish today if you don't know Jorish she's in about third grade now I think maybe going into fourth this year Uh, he was at camp Camp Pollock a couple weeks ago and gave his life to God and uh, just to sit down and talk with him and his mom Shaniqua and and hear about just in this last week how a couple weeks ago George would have reacted in anger and now he's reacting with self-control that's the Holy Spirit that does that in your life. That's part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit self-control, right? So cool to see how when you turn to the Lord, it makes a difference. So that's starters. Turn to the Lord. Maybe you've turned to the Lord a long time ago, but you need to turn to the Lord again. You haven't been trusting in Him. You haven't been mindful of Him. He hasn't even been on your radar. Turn to the Lord. And here's the second part of this advice I would give from Scripture. As we look at a people who sat in exile for something like 70 years. Wait on the Lord. We don't like that advice. What does that even mean? Wait on the Lord. We sang today, Great is thy faithfulness. God has been faithful from generation to generation to generation to generation. If you can't count away that He's been faithful to you, just look at someone else, you know. And see His faithfulness written all over our lives and all over the community of faith. How much more does he need to do to prove his faithfulness to us? I heard a guy recently say uh, it was he was in a, talking about politics and we're not talking about politics today thankfully. But he said facts don't care about your feelings. All right? The fact of God's faithfulness doesn't care about your feelings either. God cares about your feelings. But the fact of His faithfulness is a fact whether you feel it in that moment or not, right? It doesn't change God's faithfulness just because you're suffering that day. It doesn't change God's faithfulness just because you can't see it in that moment. His faithfulness is steadfast from generation to generation. And it's been proven more times than you can count. So wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Even when it hurts. Even when it's hard, wait on the Lord. We, uh, Julie and I, had some friends in Springfield. Uh, some of you know them, John and Amanda Simmons, and we lived close to them. And when they would go on vacation, sometimes just for a day or something, they would leave the little dog at home. They had a little what was that thing called, uh, Yorkie. <laughs> All right, I'm I'm not a little dog person. So anyway, a little Yorkie. And named Rory and so they'd say would you check in on Rory and let her out to go to the bathroom make sure she's got you know what she needs and so we would show up and we would open the door and like you know a normal dog situation and normal for Rory too would be to run to the door when you hear a noise and start yipping and all that kind of thing we would come in the front door nothing we would start looking for Rory and she's sitting at the foot of their bed waiting just waiting on them to show up. I guess she knew they wouldn't use the front door. <laughs> Couldn't be them. We would have to urge this dog to go out and go to the bathroom. No, she just, you know, we could pick her up and drag her outside, but as soon as the door opens, she's back in, back to the foot of the bed, she's waiting. Waiting for her family to come back. There's something about waiting that implies faith and trust, and a belief, and a hope that someday they're going to come. You can't see it in that moment, but you wait. Because you believe that it's going to happen. Otherwise you wouldn't wait. Right? So wait on the Lord. There's a verse that we love. You see it everywhere these days, right? You see it on t-shirts, you see it, I mean, go to a Christian bookstore, you can buy it framed, you can buy it however you want it, you can buy the bumper sticker, I'm sure. For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I think almost no one knows the context of that. I'm not sure I've met a Christian that knows the context of that. I need to start quizzing people when they quote that verse. Just see if they know the context. I'm just curious. I want to share with you the context today as we wrap this up. It comes from the prophet Jeremiah that we studied last week. And most of what Jeremiah spent his time doing was warning people about the judgment that was coming down the pipe. About the exile that was coming. And this particular passage is actually a letter that Jeremiah sent part of a letter, a prophetic letter, word from God that he sent from wherever he was, if maybe he was still in Jerusalem, to the people who had already been exiled. Now it's important context to note there were two exiles. And this is between the first and the second. So the Israelites were still living in Jerusalem, the walls were still standing, the temple was still standing, But their leaders had been dragged off, and a lot of their best citizens had been dragged off to Babylon in the first exile. And he sends this letter. It says, This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem. There you go, that's where he sent it from. To the surviving elders amongst the exiles, and to the priests, and the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And here's what he says. I'm just going to read you some of it, and you'll find this verse in there. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Pray for Babylon. Wow. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. See, they were wanting people to say, oh, it's about to get better. It's about to get better. Oh, yeah, it's all be- this is almost over and it's going to be just glorious fun times. <laughs> but this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you And fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and the places where I have banished you. And will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. I want you to, I want to put God's faithfulness in perspective. Yes, God cares about the details of your life. Yes, God cares when you hurt. He is faithful in what I would call micro things, right the the small things, but he's also macro faithful in the large picture he doesn't have to he he's not only your God he's everyone's God and so he can't just be faithful to you he has to be faithful to everyone and he can't just be faithful to you in this moment because he's the God of your next moments too and he has to be faithful to your future and the plans that he has for you So keep it in perspective. This verse, for I know the plans I have for you, was given before Nebuchadnezzar showed up and dragged their walls down, dragged the temple down, killed bunches of them, left them, I mean starving and in ruins, and dragged them off. This is given before that moment when they already thought it was as bad as it could get and it hadn't even gotten started. And in that moment, God reminds them, I'm faithful. I'm faithful. I have plans for you. I'll see it through. Wait on me. Move on with your life in this new place where you are. Wait on me. Go ahead and pray for the people there in Babylon. Wait on me. It's going to be a while, but wait on me. Some of you may never see it, but it's going to happen. So I don't know your circumstance today. I don't know if you're dealing with cancer or some kind of health scare in your family or in your life. I don't know if you're dealing with some kind of depression or grief or financial trouble. I don't know what you're dealing with today or what, what difficulty you face. But I encourage you to wait on the Lord. I don't know if it will be tomorrow. I don't know if it will be a long time from now. I don't know if it will be in this life or the next. But I believe in Jesus Christ. Whom God sent on a mission. To make things new. To carry out his faithfulness. I believe that he died and rose again, and I believe he's been bringing beauty from ashes ever since, and that he'll do it in your life. Just wait on him. When you don't feel like you're strong enough to have superpower faith, just wait. Can you do that? wait on Him. You don't have to have the right words. You don't have to be able to say the perfect prayers. Wait on the Lord. Even when it's hard. Even when the future isn't sure. Because He specializes in bringing beauty out of ashes. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for choosing to bring good out of even the worst circumstances of our lives. We confess that we tend to be short-sighted and quick to forget your faithfulness. Holy Spirit, bring something beautiful out of our lives. Teach us how to partner with you to encourage those Who find their lives in ashes. For you are the God. Who can bring beauty from it. We pray these things. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.